see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, guys, and we're live. Here we are for a action-packed and really special episode of Rangers Review. Not the normal thing, because as you guys know, we unfortunately had to miss the past week's episode because I was away in New York for a bunch of New York Mets games that you can check out um, for my vlog on my Mets channel. But a lot happened with the Rangers this week that we want to touch on in particular. So we're not going to be focusing about the games. We will be doing that in a future episode, probably around Monday at the time of recording this upcoming. So we have to emphasize a lot of things, but before before we do anything else, Mr. Steven, how are you today, my friend? Um, doing good. It's been a hectic week for me as well. Um, I was initially planning on recording with someone else on Monday, but my mom was uh, rushed to the hospital on the weekend. So, yeah, it's, um, it's been a crazy week. But she's she's doing better now. She's, uh, she's being monitored, and they're going to do – I think they're going to perform a surgery on the 28th. So it's – it's still a little bit, yeah, touch and go, but not life-threatening or anything. Yeah, definitely a little nerve-wracking, though, I'm sure. And I'm again, I've already told you this plenty, but my thoughts and prayers are with you, your mom, and your family always, hoping that everything goes well and smooth in her surgery. But yeah, so that's exactly why we didn't do the episode. It wasn't just me out. Unfortunately, it was just bad timing for everything. So it's not a big deal. When we do our recap on Monday going into the upcoming week of Games of the Rangers, we'll briefly recap the week that we missed. So we won't really deep dive in because it won't matter all that much by then, guys. But let's get into really the noise that we need to talk about the most. And it, it was around the trade deadline. It was on the trade deadline, but it wasn't regarding a trade for the Rangers. But it kind of felt like one just because of the impact that this player may have on the Rangers as soon as this weekend. We'll find out. But that is, of course, in defenseman Zach Jones. Now, if you guys don't know, Zach Jones is one of my favorite prospects in this Rangers organization defensively, for sure. It's him and Niels Lundqvist leading the way. Then you have other guys, like whether it be Brian Schneider, Matthew Robertson, Tom Ronan in to an extent, and some others. They have plenty of young guys. But Jones, who was originally, I believe, what well, he was the third round pick, correct? A couple years ago. Yeah, I think yeah. 64th overall in 2019. Yeah. yeah, we we have really grown attached to Zach rather quickly as another defenseman who looks a little undersized, but he is just so amazing with his offensive and overall two-way game. And I he already signed his ELC, which in my mind was really surprising. When that happened earlier in the day on the trade deadline, which I believe was April 12th, I was like, no way, because he already committed to going to his senior year with UMass. But as we know, UMass won it all in college this year. So then right after, he's like, you know what? I'm going to sign my ELSC and give a shot with the Rangers. So, Stephen, I'll let you run with this going forward because I know you have plenty to say about this. Uh, yeah, first of all, it would have been his junior year this upcoming season. Um, he finished his sophomore season now. Oh, uh, yeah, my mistake. But, yeah, Zach Jones drafted in 2019, so only two years ago. Uh, a draft that's that's looking really good for the Rangers right now. You know, we got Capo Caco second overall. Matthew Robertson signed his entry-level contract right out of the draft. Hunter Skinner, a couple of weeks ago, fourth-round pick from that year, signed his contract. Now, Zach Jones. So, four of our first five picks that draft have already signed their entry-level contracts. And they still have Adam Edstrom, who is really tearing it up in the Swedish and the SHL playoffs right now. He's a point-per-game player. So, he elevates his game when the lights shine brightest. Eric Ciclini, still in college for Michigan. 
Um, of course, you have Carl Hendrickson and Levi Altonen as well. But yeah, the big news now is Zach Jones. Um, one first one uh, uh, was part of the team that for the first time won the Hockey East Championship for UMass. And now they went all the way and won the Frozen Four. They beat St. Cloud State 5 nothing in the championship game. Um, and Zach Jones in that tournament just looked like a man possessed, especially in the semifinal. Uh, they played against uh, Minnesota Duluth, winner of the last two Frozen Fours. Um, so, uh, and they got some revenge against Duluth because two years ago in the Frozen Four championship game, UMass actually lost the final to Duluth. Yes, um, I remember that. Zach Jones, a couple of weeks ago, said he was going back to college for his junior year. He felt that he still had some things to improve. But the Rangers approached him and uh, they came to an agreement. The contract is for three years, but uh, they're burning a year off his contract now, which for Ranger fans might sound a little bit weird. Why would you burn a contract? Uh, why would you burn a year off his contract for a player that's not really going to make an impact in a season where you don't make the playoffs anyway? But um, there's a win-win here for both parties involved. Um in this case, Zach Jones gets his signing bonus this week for the first year, and he gets a signing bonus again on July 1st for the second year. So he gets a $92,500 payout twice in three months. It's not too bad. Um, he'll become a, for a kid who's only you know now playing in college. He's like, exactly. oh, wow, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll become a restricted free agent in 2023 instead of 2024 or even 2025 had he signed a three-year deal next year because he would still be eligible for a three-year deal next year. Um, But for the Rangers, there's a little advantage here as well, because they're doing basically what the Boston Bruins did with Charlie McAvoy. The Colorado Avalanche did this with Kel McCarr, and the Vancouver Canucks did this with Quinn Hughes. By burning the first year uh, of the entry-level contract, when he becomes a restricted free agent, he's not arbitration eligible, because the number of contract years do not correspond with the number of pro years, because... It's very technical, but what it comes down to is that you need to be on the active roster for 40 games for it to yeah. count as a pro year. Mm-hmm. And the pro years count towards unrestricted free agency status. But in this case, since this season counts for his contract, but not counts as a pro, as a professional year for him, he will not be arbitration eligible, which makes it easier for the Rangers to negotiate a, an extension in two years. Um more importantly, the entry-level contract has no performance bonuses, which is good for the Rangers because uh, with so, so many young players on the team, their performance bonuses were really starting to uh, to handicap them a little bit because they were over the, the bonus cushion. Yep. So getting him on the contract without performance bonuses for the next two seasons is great. Uh, he gets number six, first player since Dylan McElrath to pick that number. Uh, if he makes his debut, will only be the sixth player born in the state of Virginia to play in the NHL. Uh, the really? Last, yeah, only the sixth one. The last one was Scott Darling. Wow, wow, um, that's that's a little bizarre. I yeah, that, um, really, I'm surprised by that. I must yeah, say, uh, he will be the sixth Virginia-born player in the NHL when he makes his debut. I think he's going to play a, a couple of games at, near the end of the season. But right now, you know, he joined practice. They're going to have him ease into the practice like they did with Kraftsoff. So we might see him in a week or so, probably play a game. But it's it's also really difficult to justify changing the the, the, the lineup on defense after you 
just won two games against the Devils, both coming with a shutout. So I understand why Zach Jones is not going to play probably this weekend, but somewhere next week I do expect him to uh, to to play for the team. And uh, yeah, exciting times. Just another prospect that is a product of this amazing rebuild. You quickly touched on Matthew Robertson and, and Braden Schneider, Nils Lundqvist. If you look at the last couple of drafts, the Rangers have really capitalized on, on the draft picks they've gotten in trades, the draft picks they were assigned to by their, their, their finishes. The 2018, 2019, 2020, it's, it's, it's going to look like a three-year period where they set themselves up for a decade of, of, of contention. You know, you look at 2018, Kraftsoff, which we'll touch on in a minute, Keandre Miller, Nils Lundqvist, Joey Keane, who we traded for Julian Gauthier, is also a good piece. Um, Laurie Payuniemi, who's still in Finland, they have in 2019. I just mentioned four players already signed their entry level contract in 2020. You get Lafreniere first overall, Braden Schneider 19th overall. Uh, you acquire a second round pick for Elias Anderson, and you use it to draft Will Cooley, a good player in the OHL. Dred Berard, who won the uh, gold at the World Juniors, you get him in the fifth round. So we're building through the draft and and it's going to take a year or two before we are really contenders, but now slowly, but surely you can see the prospects entering the organization, entering the lineup and um, the exciting times. I agree. And I think what should really be highlighted about the Jones situation is, you know, for him to originally commit to go to his junior year at UMass after winning it all, and then deciding last minute, you know what? No, I'm going to go to the Rangers now. The Rangers even willing to burn that one year of, you know, having more rights on him. Because that's still a big deal at the end of the day. Normally, most teams do not want a situation like that to happen. But as you already alluded to, there's a lot of benefit from both sides here. And Jones has clearly proven to the Rangers organization that he is willing and capable of competing with the Rangers already. You know, he's not a guy where they just signed him and brought him in to be with the Hartford Wolfpack for the entirety mm-hmm. of next season. Like he should be with the club. And that's really, really exciting because I want to ask you in particular, what are some aspects of Jones game that really stand out to you? Cause for me, I love his elusiveness as a strong puck moving defenseman, but he's really disciplined as well. I see Adam Fox in certain aspects of his game, obviously not to the same level because it's really hard to com- com- compared to Fox, he's arguably the best defenseman in the league right now. And that's not even an exaggeration, really, mm-hmm. other than Victor Hedman. I, I would love to know the arguments out there. He's been up there all season long, and it's fantastic to see. But Jones, in my mind, can very well have a transition eerily similar to a guy of Adam Fox, and which would be even more impressive when you look at he's a couple years younger than Fox than uh, when Fox first came in the league. So what's your stance on Jones? What aspects of his game do you think are going to transition the most well to the Rangers? And what is something that you're maybe a little worrisome that might just take a little bit of seasoning to get used to? Well, looking at Zach Jones, I can see why the Rangers decided to jump on it now. Um, And it's not necessarily the Fox comparison. It's more the way Ke'Andre Miller has performed so far. Keandre only spent two years in college. They signed him to a contract, maybe for slightly different reasons, because he wasn't really happy in college. And, you know, the the classes were a bit of a chore. He was just there to play hockey. So for Miller, it made sense to go pro as soon as possible. But to see how easy it was for Miller to transition into, into the NHL, I think that pushed Gordon to the point where he was like, okay, I think we can, we can take a gamble on Zach Jones. Um, Zach Jones, another thing he has in common with Keandre Miller is that he played forward until a few years ago. He was a center um, until very recently. 
Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, looking at his strengths, his skating, of course, his offensive awareness, um, joining the rush, um, defensively is gap control, which is a point that Fox and Lundqvist both show as a real strength. Gap control, I think, is really important for a defenseman uh, paired with lateral movement because in today's NHL, you have wingers that really transition from left to right. We've, we've been over this from the perspective of a winger. You know, when you have Vitaly Kravtsov or Kapokako going from left to right or right to left, that's one perspective. But from, from a defenseman's perspective – there's 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 that situation as well you know how easy is it for you to make that lateral move as you are following a player and for for Zach Jones it doesn't seem like it bothers him at all um i've interviewed him last summer and it was one of the questions i always ask you know how what's your biggest challenge when you go to your offside for him as a left-handed defenseman what's your biggest challenge when you go when you are skating on the right side of defense and he said that early on he was struggling a little bit with not knowing who's behind him because it's not really uh, instinctive when you're on your on the other side of the rink. But it didn't really bother him. He's, he's comfortable using his backhand, and Niels Lundqvist said the same thing. So that lateral movement together with the gap control is his biggest strength defensively. Um, one area where he should probably improve and, and work on is his uh, awareness of what's going on behind him when he joins the rush. Because I've I've watched most of his games this season. Um, and one thing I noticed is that he likes to join the rush, but he, he sometimes leaves a lot of empty, uh, a lot of open ice behind him. And it has led to a couple of breakaways. Didn't really lead to goals per se. But if that happens in the NHL and you give up a two-on-one breakaway or, or a one-on-one, you know, that can really kill your momentum. So that's something that he might need to work on to pick his moments, if you know what I mean. Yep. Um, but he's a great skater. Uh, he reads the ice well. Um, he, he has the right mentality. And he might need a year or so to really get get to that level where he's comfortable the same way Fox was comfortable. Uh, you mentioned Fox turned pro after three years in college. He turns pro after only two years in college. So... Patience is the key, but this is also one of the reasons why I don't mind burning that year off his contract. If he has one year where he needs adjustment and then one good year before becoming a restricted free agent, his second contract will not be as high Yes, a situation where you sign him next year. His contract runs for three years until 2025. He has three stellar seasons. And now you have to negotiate with a guy in 2025 who's arbitration eligible, who put up a great performance three years in a row. It's going to cost you. So burning a year of an entry-level contract is not always a bad thing. It actually could pay off in the end for the Rangers now that you make that. That's true. That's a great point because if he has like one breakout year, let's take – I know it's different circumstances, but Tony D'Angelo to an extent. You know, Tony is a guy that – was really putting up the points, but it was over a short period of time. It was like, really, okay, how much more are we going to get out of him? So they managed to get him on the shorter term deal. So with Jones, that could go either way. They could sign him to another shorter term, or they could extend him long term and get lucky or say it's a low AAV because he only had one real full breakout season yet. Again, time will tell that that's all the matter of how long he takes to really get to accustomed to the NHL level. But I just want to add this here and regarding Jones before we kind of wrap up his topic is what is 
How does it feel for you as a guy like myself too, but I know you've done it plenty more and following all these Ranger prospects, especially defensively, Niels Lundqvist, you're literally like his best friend, it feels like. I know it's not the exact same, but you have a good relationship with him from a personal level. So how does that make you feel knowing that we very well could see a Rangers defensive pair next season of not just having Keandre Miller, Jacob Truba, Foxy, and Lindgren, but then also possibly having Zach Jones on the left and Niels Lundqvist on the right. I want you to expand on that just a little bit. How does that make you feel if that does, in fact, come to fruition? Um, if if we play in the NHL with a Zach Jones, Niels Lundqvist pairing, I'm going to feel almost like a proud dad. Uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been following Lundqvist for over three years now. Um, Zach Jones, I met him at the draft in 2019. I've done some – I've had some Zoom calls with him to put that interview together. So – I've I've been able to ask him some questions on a personal level. Same with Eric Ciccolini, who's a little bit further away, of course. But Brad Barard, Hunter Skinner, uh, Tormo Riunanen. It's 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 really it really gives a little bit of extra weight to it when when you've talked to these guys on like a personal level and they actually make it to that on the ice at Madison Square Garden. That's just. There's there's a difference between talking to guys like Tyron and Brendan Crawley, Stephen Fogarty. With all due respect, they're great guys to talk to. They, you know, they give me a lot of insight in what life is like in professional hockey and what their challenges are. But there's a big difference between those guys and then Zach Jones, Nils Lundqvist, Vitaly Kravtsov, who, if if we are lucky next season, we're going to have a team that has Lafreniere, Kako, Kravtsov up front. And Miller, Jones, Lundqvist at the back, Shostjorkin in net. This is this is the the, the most homegrown team we're, we're going to have in decades. And this is what we've been waiting for. You know, since this rebuild started, it's like, all right, oh, we just want to see these kids play. We're getting a little too antsy. Now it's finally starting to come full circle here. And the thing is, I know people are getting antsy, but it's only been three years since the letter was sent out. No, it hasn't been that long. You're, for a natural rebuild, it's been a lot faster. We it has only been three it. years since we officially committed to a rebuild. If you look at other teams, and I've mentioned this before, the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins, everyone talks about Sidney Crosby being the start of their rebuild. But they were picking top five all the way back in 2002. So if you take their the Ryan Whitney pick in 2002, which was fifth overall, if you take that as the start of the rebuild, where in our case, the Kraftsoft pick was the start of the rebuild, it took them seven years from that moment to winning the cup. It took them six years to make it to the finals. So it's only 2021. I expected the Rangers to be contenders in 2023 and then maybe win a cup in 2024, 2025. But the way Gordon has been, has been orchestrating this rebuild we might see success quicker than than the Pittsburgh Penguins. We might see success quicker than the Chicago Blackhawks, who won their first cup in 2010. And despite what a lot of people think, it started with Taves and Kane. It didn't. It started with Cam Barker back in 2003. Again, it's a seven-year climb from from the depths of the NHL, where you have high picks, to winning the cup. And it, it takes a better half of a decade sometimes. And if the Rangers can get there in five, six years, then then we should be very lucky. Um, but I'm, I, sometimes I still cannot believe Gordon put this team together. You know, trading for Adam Fox, trading for 
that that Rick Nash trade, I keep coming back to it, man. Ryan, I know. Ryan Lindgren, the pick that in it that eventually became Keandre Miller, Ryan Spooner, who we flipped for Ryan Strom. That trade alone set us set up half our team, like like uh, in, in in a shift. That's just like half our team. That that's that it's unbelievable. I know, and and I I love I just love the fact that you know while we have griped plenty throughout this season in particular, there's been plenty highs and lows already at natural through a team through a rebuild, right? It it's been kind of easy to overlook for a second just the position this club is currently in. But when you take a, a second to put your emotions aside and really focus on what the big picture is here, it's really beautiful. Like from everything top down, you know, they haven't been perfect in this rebuild. Don't get me wrong. They haven't been all drafting all the best players, you know, not have re- everything has went up to according to plan, but it has gone damn close, a lot closer than I think most teams mm-hmm. would do or expect. They've had luck on their side with these lotteries. They take advantage of that luck. Development, maybe it's taken a little bit slower than expected with some of our youngsters, but it's not changing the fact that there is progression now, and that's a pleasant thing to see. And yeah. defensively, I think that has to be the biggest kudos more than anything. You know, the Rangers, talk about loading up. They, they've been so star-studded. It's like I'm sitting here as we're talking about Zach Jones, Niels Lundqvist. It's like, okay, what are we going to do with guys like Matthew Robertson? Robertson might not be much longer, right? He's going to be in the AHL full-time probably next season. Mm-hmm. Then you have guys like Braden Schneider. Schneider looks like he could be ahead of schedule by at least a year. Like that's a that's good problem forget, to have. Let's not forget Hunter Skinner because if you look at the draft picks, the Rangers well, had the last he was stellar in the ELC, and I know I'm on – pardon me. Not in the ELC, ECHL. the ECHL, and now he's yeah. with uh, the Wolfpack now. So, yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the Rangers drafting over the last two decades, they never had a problem hitting on the right players late in the draft. Correct. Because they, they normally never, didn't have first-round picks to deal with. <laughs> they, they never had a problem with that. You know, yeah, Henrik Lundqvist in 2000, you can call it lucky, but you still, you're still making that call, you know? Yep. Carl Hagelin, uh, he was 20, so he was a third-year eligible. But still, you draft him in the sixth round, and he turns into a really good player. They have Jesper Fast. You have Derek Stepan in the second round. You have Ryan Callahan in the fourth round. Brandon Dubinsky, Artem Anisimov. All those players, that those are really good draft picks that really get overlooked when, when people judge the Rangers drafting. We just never had the high picks to complement that. If you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, yes, they got Sorelli and they got Pollard and they were able to add guys like Killorn and Yanni Gord in free agency. But their their real star players are Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman, first and second overall players. Now the Rangers have those players. Yes. Yeah, I wish one of them was either a defenseman or a center, but – I mean, yeah. It's, you're not going to draft positionally when you're getting like second yeah. or first overall picks. You know, we know yeah. that by now. I, I've been one of Tim Stutzler's biggest fans in the world. I've seen that kid play here in Europe. There's no way in hell I draft him over Lafreniere, even with the knowledge of today. Lafreniere yeah. is still a prospect. But the Rangers now have these these high picks, you know, Capo Caco, Vitaly Kravtsov, Alexi Lafreniere, and you add that to the – the, the, the draft picks, the later draft picks that they that they usually already hit on. Igor Shosturkin was a fourth-round pick. Pavel Buchnevich was a third-round pick with a draft pick that came in the first Rick Nash trade, by the way. Yes, I, I'm glad he brought that up. That's a great point. Yep. Um, 
um, those players. Yeah, and and it's it's all it's also about trading. Trading Derek Brassard for Mika Zibanejad is 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 a stroke of genius. Um, and trading players away at the right time. Yeah, the McDonough and Miller trade might not be perfect, but it it gets us Nils Lundqvist. So it gets us Libra Hayek and Brett Howden, who might not be future stars, but they're still NHL-caliber players. They might be a trade chip in the future. Who knows? We're finally in a position now where we've had a good rebuild, where we drafted the right players, we we got a first round pick for Brady Shea and used it to, to draft Braden Schneider. That's 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 just outside the box thinking by Jeff Gordon. He can get a, a late first round pick and then they they have, they've been far more creative than I think with the Iowa. They have been far more creative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They they um, like Matt Zuccarello. You trade him for a conditional yeah. second, conditional third. You yeah. don't hit on on either condition. For it to but get I the first, like to for, to get the first round pick, yep. It could have been two first round picks, but still, you get a second and a third. You use the second round pick. I think we used that one on uh, Matthew Robertson. We we may have, yeah. We may have. either that or was Carl Hendrickson. But you you just you keep you keep adding those draft picks. Now we traded Brendan Lemieux for a fourth round pick. We traded Jimmy Vesey for a fourth round pick. We traded Namestnikov for a fourth round pick. We don't have a second round pick this year, but we, I think we have three fourth round picks. And and that'll come up key, you know. The, granted, um, we haven't really taken a look at this year's drafted or anything. I know it's a lot more defensively heavy than the year year prior, but mm-hmm. you know that's still key at the end of the day. And, and for that, actually, might benefit the Rangers in the end, knowing that it isn't so front loaded offensively. That maybe as you get into a little bit more of the later rounds, that's where you can maybe find some gems because they aren't all that far off from each other from an offensive side of things. So. Yep. I like that, and I really am just encouraged by what the Rangers are doing. Um, as up and down as this season has been, there is absolutely no denying whatsoever that they are on the right path, and I firmly stand behind the notion that they will be a team that's successful, probably not this season, but very close. You know, I've been saying this plenty. I said it last season. I'll say it. I said it going to this year. I thought the Rangers – would either just miss or just just make playoffs, and I had them just making playoffs. Currently, they're mm-hmm. what one to two games out of Boston. Boston's a tough thing to tackle, but if the Rangers end up missing in the end by simply two games because they have the Boston Bruins in front of them, as by nothing, by no reason to slouch at. You know that's unbelievably mm-hmm. impressive. I've been loving the ride that they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget, even if we miss the playoffs, these these the, this last stretch of ten games, you're playing for something. Yes. These and, are and no, showing it. Yeah, th- these are no exhibition games where nothing's at stake anymore. Correct. These are still games where you're in it to to make it. They're probably not going to make it because we're we're four points behind Boston. They have two games in hand, so we the gap might be a little bit too big to overcome. But you're playing for something, and this season has been a lot of fun. You know, seeing Capo Caco take that next step in his development. Seeing Lafreniere in a Rangers jersey, something I, I never expected to see until we won the lottery back in August. Um, Artemi Panarin putting up the most points by any Ranger in his first 100 games for the team. Let's just stop and talk about that for a second. Okay. That's one of our talking points. So that's a great transition. So let's talk about Breadman just a little bit further. This guy's over a point per game. Surprised absolutely nobody. We're honestly, I feel honestly selfish, and I'm like, 
I don't deserve to have this guy on my team. I just, it's such an amazing feeling having a star this caliber because it's something yes. every fan dreams of having the, at least that point per game, almost yeah. a two point per game. And that's exactly what Bredman is. Um, past game at the time of recording this, got another, what was it, three points? He just, he's unstoppable. Yeah. You know, even when it looks like he's not even really giving his utmost effort. So, what's your stance on Bredman breaking the record for the most points as a New York Ranger through their first 100? I, I, I cannot believe we, we signed this guy as a free agent. You know, you know that I'm not the, the biggest fan of Jack Eichel being traded to the Rangers. Yes. It has nothing to do with who Jack Eichel is. If you give me the, the option between Ryan Strom and Jack Eichel, even at their cap hits for free, like no trade, just free agency, but with the cap hit they have now, I pick Jack Eichel over Ryan Strom 10 out of 10 times. But it's not the case. You're going to have to give up good assets to acquire him, plus the 10 million cap hit. Um, Panarin came to us for free. He makes 11.6 million. And I think he's underpaid. He's a bargain of a contract. After he, everyone's he's, saying he's overpaid, he's this, he's that. I he makes 11.6 million. And I, I firmly believe he's underpaid. He he's uh, been he's done everything to make us not believe he is. You know, like he's just he's done everything on a night to night basis. It is nothing right. short of remarkable. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege. It's it's honestly I, I he live he leaves me at a loss of words. It's like okay, mm-hmm. when he didn't get a point one night, it's like, all right, what happened there? It's like you can always count on him, and that's a rare thing to have because a lot most teams in the league don't have if, the luxury of constantly having that player. If you if you look at Aaron, uh, the record we're talking about here, most points in first 100 games as a Ranger. He the beat record, some guys. <laughs> the record was Mark Messier with 137 in his first 100 games. Yeah. And Aaron uh, broke that record. He got 138. Mm. I, I, I was a huge fan of Jager when he was a Ranger. But, man, it's hard, it's hard to, 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 to pick Jager as a Ranger over Panarin as a Ranger. It's and, and I'm getting close to the point where I truly think that Panarin is the best player I've ever seen in a Rangers jersey. Like, just just take a moment to really gather your thoughts there. Like, it's true though. Like, it I mean, is. I've, been watching, I've been watching the Rangers since the, since 1992, early 90s. I've seen Messier, I've seen Graves, I've seen Leach, Richter, Gretzky, I've seen Lindros, Nedved, two stints. Uh, I've seen the entire career first the last game of Henrik Lundqvist. I don't think any of them were as dominant as Panarin. Yes, Messier was more important because he was instrumental to winning our first cup in four years. Yes. Jager was probably more entertaining because the way he played, he was just a man possessed. And plus there was no one around him either. He he was a one-man show. When you talk about t- most talented Ranger I've ever seen, it still has to be Wayne Gretzky. The guy was 36 and he put up two 90 point seasons. That's, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about most dominant and best Ranger I've ever seen, I, I, I think I have to go with Panera. And, and I, I want to add how insane that is to even fathom because. When you think of guys like Hank, and it's really hard to compare a goaltender from a you know an individual yeah. position player, but we can keep them separate even. But like Hank throughout his career, he had some amazing dominant runs. We know that, but it is very hard to argue just how good Panarin has been. But from a consistent level, he has it's, yet to have a decent period of streak where he is not on his game. 
Even mm-hmm. when he's not on his game, you can count on him to at least get to. Oh, no. I've seen him play games where he was not on his game, where he wasn't playing the way he should. Correct. And, Same. and still ended up with three points. Uh, my point. Yeah. It, it's it's so, effortless for him. He had three three period uh three point periods this season. Not not three point games, no. Period. He put, he put up a three point period three times this season. And and then you have Zibanejad who had that amazing run in March. Uh, March madness with Mika. It's 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 ridiculous. You know, he he broke records that from the early 80s when I wasn't even born. Um, and then you have Chris Kreider who scores back-to-back hat-tricks against the Flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, was it against the Flyers? Probably. Yeah, because yeah I think it I think It probably if, – if, if oh, wait, no, what was one against the Devils? If we're talking about hat-tricks, it was probably against the Flyers this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just everything. Adam Fox playing on a Norris level. Consistently. Consistently. Consistently plays at a Norris caliber level. He is better than Victor Hedman this season. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Rangers fan. Defensively, he's better than Victor Hedman. The numbers back. Offensively, he puts up more points. I don't like plus minus, but yeah, I mean, he's he is a, a positive, a net positive player every game he plays. And he plays 26, 27, 28 minutes. It's ridiculous. They have Ryan Strom, who's on pace for 74 points on a, in a full season. The, mo- the most overlooked player all season long, easily. The, uh, Ryan Strom is the most underrated Rangers r- Ranger in, in probably the last 15 years. Ranger fans are still talking about wanting to trade him. He's on pace for 74 points in a full season. It's ridiculous. And, yeah, he plays with Panarin. It, 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 you, you didn't see the game against the Devils yesterday? No, I was listening to the radio call on my way home from New York. Panarin yeah. had two goals, but those goals don't happen without Ryan Strong. I, I know. Because I, Ryan I, Strong I, exactly. pinpoint passing to Panarin. Yes, Panarin finishes it, but it's still Ryan Strong with the feet, the cross-eyes feet to set it up. Um. Panarin and Strong work well together. Panarin put up career highs in points, uh, in, in goals and assists, and therefore also points, playing with Ryan Strong. Maybe Ryan Strong makes Panarin a better player. Maybe we should just accept that. Um, I, think, I think that it's beneficially mutual. And that was something that at first, maybe we didn't really wrap our heads around that idea, you know, because Ryan no, Strong, no. We, we've, we've had plenty of gripes about originally. And if there's one aspect of his game that I still can honestly say I don't love, it's obviously his defensive game isn't anything stellar. You know that. He's not a star two-way centerman out there like a Bergeron. Again, that's a tall task. Don't get me wrong. I'll tell you something. If he was, he wouldn't be paid $4.5 million. No, He'd be paid $8 million. I know, I know. And that, that's what makes this a little bit more of a bargain too, just because yeah. of the overproduction he's been doing. But you add that, and he also does get a costly penalty more often than not. Those are really the only gripes. That, that hasn't been a problem this season. It was a big issue last season, yes. It, it, I've seen it this year. It has not been as prominent this year. You're correct. Yeah, it's and, not that is all, and that is all kudos to him. Hundred percent to him. Everything that I've said about Ryan Strom and negative light, he has continued to prove me wrong. And I'm not. I have no complaints whatsoever. I have nothing wrong with the guy. I'm so happy that he's making me eat my words as he should. 
Good for him. When, when, Panarin, was out, when Panarin was out because of the whole, uh, you know, political thing, he was playing with Chris Kreider, and Chris Kreider puts up two hat-tricks playing with Ryan Strom. Maybe, maybe we should just accept the fact that Ryan Strom has found his team. You know, and, that's, is- and that's not uncommon to be a fairly late bloomer or at least peak high, then reach a low, and then go back up again. This is not an uncommon thing in the game of hockey. So, he, was still, he was still a fifth overall pick. I you know. know. It's the easy talent, to forget that. The talent was there. Same with Derek Brassard. Do you remember when Derek Brassard came to the Rangers and people were yes, like, he was, he was a top pick. Do we really need Derek Brassard? He sucks. Yeah, in Columbus. And, and then what did he have around him? I remember mm-hmm. trade deadline 2013. We trade Gabrick for John Moore, yeah. Derek Dorsett, and Derek Broussard. And I remember thinking, we didn't even get a first-round pick for that. Yeah. And that first game happens, and Derek Broussard scores a goal and adds three assists. Then the playoffs happen, and, and he, he steps up. Broussard is a, is a guy that stepped up in the playoffs for us, always. That game six against Tampa, I think, did he have a five-point game? He went off. He he was big time brass. You know, when I think of brass in the playoffs, and oh, you know, not not that we're trying to get on a tangent, but like just think about this man having the audacity to do a slap shot on a breakaway. Like it, it, he was just he was he was so much fun to watch. It was slap shots are out of this world still. I know he did it recently this season too. I saw him do it again, and it just it blows my mind because he's a guy that it was so heartbreaking. I remember again, I've said this before. I remember like it was yesterday when he got traded for his banjad, but as upset as I was in that moment, I also understood it because I was fortunate enough to have the knowledge on Mika and the amount of potential there. I watched him with Sweden win gold recently a year or two prior. Like, okay, this is actually kind of a big deal. And you get a draft pick out of it. Sign me up. And it was perfect timing. Yeah. What what made it a fleecing was that we got a second round pick with Zabanejad. Exactly. And it wasn't it, Broussard plus a second round pick for Zibanejad. No, it was Broussard and a seventh for Zibanejad and a second. Um, but if you look at Broussard, the way he he played for us, I I, I miss him. Yeah, not to the point where I, I bring up wanting to trade for him like Zuccarello fans do. But yeah, I, have, <laughs> I have fond memories of his of of game one against the Penguins in 2014. Game one against the Penguins, Broussard was on fire. I know. He, he was their backbone in a lot yeah. of ways. He he had that clutch gene. It wasn't right in the heart of the Rangers. Derek Brassard was their backbone in, in the and that and that's not a shot at step whatsoever. We all know the iconic goal to send them to um to the Stanley Cup Finals on Holpe in the left eye. But like, no, Brad, Brad, that was the following year. That was the following year in the yeah. second round. Oh yeah, oh pardon me, second round going going to the uh, the conference finals then against the Habs, right? No, no, no. The Habs, we then at a conference final 2015, we lost to Tampa. The goal you're referring to got us to the conference final against okay. Tampa in 2015. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, yeah you're 100%. They, they get a little wishy-washy for me. but it was, um, it was a good era for Ranger fans. You know, you make the conference final twice, cup final once, you make the second round in between. That was a good four or five-year span for Ranger I know. fans. And they just they just fell short, and that's why they did the rebuild, and that's why we're here talking right now. Everything but happens for a reason. The underrated the underrated piece of this rebuild, and we're going to talk about it now, is the kid from Russia, Vitaly. Yeah, Kravtsov. let's 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 talk about Mister Vitaly Kravtsov because oh my man, oh man, he has been so entertaining. Can we can we talk about tonight. 
Can like, we talk about the fact that he starts on the fourth line and then he's he's sprinkled into the top six for a shift here or there and he just completely takes over the game? It's I, unbelievable. Kreider had one of his worst games as a Ranger earlier this week. Yep. And Quinn's like, all right, Kreider to the fourth line. Kravtsov, you play with Zibanejad and Butchnevich. And that Zibanejad line, for the first time in weeks, they actually did something. Breath of fresh air, if you yeah, ask Kravtsov me. Kravtsov made things happen on that line. And yesterday he scored his first goal, and unfortunately it was Taking back his offside. After, after a successful challenge by Lindy Ruff, which I want to quickly touch on because Ranger fans are really pissed off about this. I'm not upset with Lindy Ruff for challenging that goal because it's, it's literally his job to do so. They were down four goals. There were still 10 minutes to go in the third period. I've seen stranger things happen. Um, Kravtsov will score his first goal. But that goal, that, that disallowed goal that he scored yesterday, that is that is, that is vintage Kravtsov. That is like his, his signature move where he, he snipes it five-hole through the goalie's legs. He does this in the KHL all the time. And now he did it in the NHL, and he's going to do it again. But the kid just oozes confidence. You can he, tell. He, he looks he looks polar opposite than what he did just yeah. a year ago or so when he was with Hartford, gained a little slow into things, but he still had over 10 points in 30 or so games or there. Was, yeah. Wasn't looking bad, you know, just what take, took a little bit. But and all in all, that really benefited him in the end. Uh, took it a little personal with him when he originally didn't make the Rangers a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And now you look at him now, and one, he has a size, which you love. Krasov is another bigger body forward for this Rangers group that has quickly become fairly dominant in a, a quick period mm-hmm. of time. Between Kako, Laugh, both these guys have an amazing skill set, but they use the body. Probably use the body more than maybe the um, an average fan was expecting at first, right? Krasov yeah. does that but he has the myths. He has the self-awareness and he's taking advantage of the opportunity knowing that, you know, he has had plenty of experience with the big dogs in the KHL, which as we know is the second best hockey league out there. So not that they're the same level, but they aren't polar opposite either. So that's impressive enough to see him come over here and now really taking full advantage. And I want to ask you further on Kratzov, what has stood out to you the most about his play thus far in this handful of games? He got his first career assist the other night, as we know, almost had his first NHL goal, but it feels like these things are inevitable. And for a Ranger team that's competing for playoffs, David Quinn, I big kudos to him again. He is giving the opportunities to guys that he feels are deserving and Kratzov is deserving him. Now, granted, could Kratzov be back on the fourth line for a game against Saturday? Sure. You know, who knows? These things are inevitable at times, but what's your initial stance on Kratzov and his performance? Well, it's difficult for a coach to just, I said this before, I'm going to say it again, but now about the forwards, it's difficult to justify changing your lineup after you just win two games in a row, not conceding a goal. You're the first game they weren't really dominant, but still, you know, you 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 shut out your opponent two two games in a row. There's no reason to change your lineup. If it ain't why fix it? That's usually Quinn's mentality. Yeah, Blackwell's probably gonna gonna be on the second line. Who had three assists, by the way? Yes, yesterday. and also huge hats off to Blackwell. He continues yeah. to take advantage of the opportunities given to him too. Whether we love or feel like a little iffy by just because maybe we want to see Kako in the top mm-hmm. six, whatever. Um, huge hats off to Blackwell. Another bargain of a contract. I think 10 points in his last 10 games. Yeah, yeah awesome. He, he's doing that yes for fast for all, yeah. brilliantly, you know. Um, but looking at Kravtsov, I think the biggest difference this season compared to last season is just his confidence and 
an unlucky bounce is not going to ruin his mood anymore. When he came over in 2019, he was full of confidence. I watched him in the preseason games. I was in New York. I watched all preseason games. And I, I zoomed in on Kravtsov and a little bit on Kako. But he was just, you know, in, in the preseason, he was just playing his game, scored a goal. And he didn't really celebrate because it's only preseason. You know, he wasn't there to play in the preseason. And then he doesn't make the team. And that really ruined ruined him. It, it messed with him a lot. And you could see it when he was going to Hartford. He was struggling to motivate himself. And this was, at the time, a 19-year-old kid, um, you know, a year after being drafted ninth overall. He came in and he thought he was going to make the team. And, and going to a country where... They, they don't really speak your language. He speaks English relatively well compared to other Russians because of his upbringing. His, his dad is an army officer. His mom is a diplomat. His sister is a lawyer in Calgary. So he grew up around English-speaking people as a kid. Um, but still, you know, you, you get to New York for the first time. You get to live with a billet family. Everything is different. If things don't go your way from the start, then that can really mess with you. If you look at a guy like Philip Hedel, it didn't really bother him so much because the moment he got to Hartford in, in his first year, he just hit it off in Hartford. So when you get that, it it, it puts you into a flow. Kravtsov never really got into that flow. Then he went to Russia and it didn't really work out. But then this season, this current season, he went back to the KHL. He played great. Um, he, he created scoring chances more than... He was actually rewarded for it because his teammates kept missing open nets. Very frustrating. But he he made things happen. And now he's back in New York. And you can tell that he he plays like a man possessed in a good way. He he doesn't let a, a, a bad bounce get to his head anymore. Uh, when he's on the ice, he's always making things happen. Defensively, too, um, the points will come. He got his first assist on a Brendan Smith goal. Um it's crazy how these things happen, huh? Like Lafreniere and Miller uh, got their first goal assisted by Colin Blackwell. I know. Kako's first goal was assisted by Ryan Strom. It's never the star players that 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 are linked to these kids' first goals for some reason. Um, but he'll get his first goal. I hope he's going to get it tomorrow. Um, I think I think I think it's inevitable almost for him to get it um, at, in one of the two games in the final two games against the Devils this season. It just yes. feels right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, but I, I'm I'm not worried about Kraft stuff at all. Um, and yeah, he's playing. He's I'm not saying he's playing better than Kako, but he's more noticeable. He's a bit of a, he's a flashier player. If you if you look at Mark Stone and you look at um, uh, Philip Forsberg, which player is more exciting to watch? It's probably Philip Forsberg. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's necessarily a better player, but he's more noticeable. The plays Kravtsov makes are more noticeable. He's, he's a year old. Flashy. He, he, he has really yeah. slick hands and he's aware. You know, he's a guy that while he's not going to necessarily uh, – necessarily be a gem in the defensive zone you can tell game by game that he's quickly adapting and getting better and i think that he has the potential fairly similar to kratsov to be a very strong two-way forward in the game 
I don't think he's going to be completely one-dimensional as that stereotype goes with Russian players all the time. I think Kratsov is going to show plenty in both the offensive and the he's, defensive zone. Yeah, like you said, he's not stellar defensively, but he's not a liability either. Yes, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think I think another point that needs to be had about Kratsov too is, you know, he was really the next big piece coming out of this rebuild. You know, it started with Lee Sanderson, Filipino. We know that. And Heedle, you can definitely make the case, was really stirring it all because Elias did not pan out. But outside of that, it really was Vitali as like the next man up, or at least one of them. So it's crazy seeing him now in this position, taking advantage of the opportunities given to him. And if he really gets on Quinn's good side, and again, ha- huge hats off to Quinn, I've been unbelievably satisfied with what he has done for the majority of the time since coming back from being on the protocol list. He, in my mind, he's shown a lot of differences, simple little tweaks in his coaching style that is benefiting this club. Whether it's still just taking advantage of teams that are clearly lesser of a team than the Rangers, like the Devils that we've seen the past couple of games, whatever it may be, I give huge props to him because while nothing's been perfect, it's been a lot better than what it was earlier in the season, and it's the perfect timing to do so. So hats off to him, but also hats off to him for giving more opportunities to guys that – both deserve it and also are crucial parts of this organization going forward. And Kratzov yep. definitely leads the way. My, my gripe will always be with Julian Gauthier, don't get me wrong, but it is hard to have him in the lineup right now too. So yeah. I understand that the argument. Biggest, the biggest change for me is still that he doesn't punish players after one bad bounce anymore. Yes. Where at the beginning of the season, you saw this happening where, you know, uh, Lafreniere has a bad shift and then he's stapled to the bench. You know, Kako tries to make the right play. It doesn't work out, and he's sitting on the bench for the next four shifts. He's not doing that anymore. And I think, honestly, I have I have a feeling that this has been a conversation after Chris Knobloch was behind the bench for two weeks, together with Chris Drury, who's the associate general manager, no longer the assistant. He's the associate now. So he's on the same level uh, responsibility-wise as Jeff Gordon. I wouldn't be shocked if Chris Drury had a talk with David Quinn and and told him, listen, we need to talk about how we're going to handle this. And clearly it worked because it has been different. No, you're you're 100% right. And all I can hope is that this continues. And if it continues now and going to next season, we're going to see a lot and a lot more um, less of David Quinn hate. And that's all we want. You know, all we want is for him to succeed with this club. And that's all I can really say. He's adapting. He's a young coach, too. He's very inexperienced. He's a guy very similar to this club where normally it's two negatives or two positives normally don't go align here when you have a guy that doesn't have the experience to really develop guys at the NHL level, but he's slowly but surely starting to prove me wrong from what really looks like a rough first half of the season, at least. So kudos to him one more time. And before we get out of here, should we also, I guess, touch on the 20,000 goal for the New York Rangers? Because I think that's important as well, is it not? Uh, Mr. Pavel Buchnevich, the most fitting guy to get it. Um, so Rangers, a couple of games ago, get their 20th goal in their organization's history. And it was by Pavel Buchnevich. So what is your initial thoughts on that transpiring? Well, my first thought is, was it though? Was it the 20,000th goal in franchise history? Because if you look at the NHL's website, the Rangers, that 20,000th goal was only their 20, a goal number 21,921. Of course you deep dive this to throw me off. Yes. What are yes. you trying to say? <laughs> because 
for some reason, the Rangers included the goals that are awarded for a shootout win. You know, when, oh, okay. when, yes, yes, when yes. the game is tied 2-2 and you win the shootout, you win the game 3-2. Yes. You get a, a phantom goal that's not attributed to any player. A player doesn't get a goal for it. But for some reason, the Rangers added that to their total. Whereas the Red Wings last week got their 20,000th goal, and it was the actual actual 20,000th goal in franchise history. So after scoring four goals yesterday, according to my count, we are only 75 goals away from 20,000 now. But aside from that, kudos to Pavel Buznevich for putting his name in the record books forever. Ah, uh, you threw me off, Steven. <laughs> I don't know what to think anymore. I feel like I just watched Interstellar for like a third time or something. That's funny. Oh, my. Okay. All right. Well, regardless, I'm going to give the kudos to Booch. Oh, no, no. Kudos uh, to 100%. For, for, for what the Rangers recognize as their 20,000th goal in franchise yes. history. Yes, and, and that's fair. So, again, huge hats yeah. off to Pavel Buchnevich, who has – um, really, every year has asserted himself more and more in this lineup. And, and it's been so much fun. He's so entertaining. He's an absolute goofball to watch with his personality. And I love it. He's infectious with the club. And he's quickly become one of the best forwards for the Rangers from a two-way uh, perspective. He has been very more than average in the defensive zone more often than not and has contributed plenty offensively. Another very sneaky player for the Rangers this year that gets overlooked because you just have all these bigger names that you're attracted to, whether it be Breadman, Mika, Laffy, Kako, you know, the youngsters. But all in all, he's looked really solid all year, so I'm very happy. It's only fitting that a guy like him gets number 20,000. So I I think that's perfect. And one last thing that I would like to add right before we hit the hour mark, and then we'll get out of here for this special edition of Rangers review. I'll just take a quick moment to appreciate Igor Shosturkin getting back-to-back shutouts, the first New York Ranger goaltender as a rookie in their history in 94 years to get back-to-back shutouts. So what's your quick stance on Igor? How happy are you for him? And what do you expect from him, I guess, for the remainder of the season and beyond? Um, I'm pissed that his injury is costing him the Calder because if he doesn't go out with that groin injury, he he probably beats Caprizo for the Calder. You think? Yes. Uh, as uh, uh, it's my only my only issue with that belief is goaltenders winning Calders are not very common. It, to my knowledge, the last goaltender to do it was Steve Mason. Yep. And you know, it, again, it just—it's one of those things where goaltenders, unfortunately, ne- yeah. are really not given the benefit of the doubt in a situation yeah. like this. So the thing, is, the thing is, Kaprizov is not putting up seventy or seventy-five points this season. This is not Panarin in 2015-16. Yeah, you know, putting up seventy points, winning the Calder. <laughs> Kaprizov's having a good rookie season, but if Shostakovich is healthy throughout the season. And if he is the starting goalie from day one and he plays out of the 56 games, 30 games, I think he has a a really good shot at the Calder. But unfortunately, that groin injury ruined things for him. Uh, No personal accolades this season, unless, of course, Adam Fox wins the Norris. Um, But Shesturkin has a really good season. His first, well, not even his first full season. Think think how, how what this is like for guys like Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren and Igor Shesturkin and Kapo Kaka. They're going to play their first full 82-game season in their third year. I know. That's it's, so bizarre. It's, it's, it's really weird. Anyway, but his second 
season with the team, his first full season with the Rangers. He's done everything I could have asked for. Um, this is a legitimate starting goalie, and I consider him a top 10 goalie in the league. I do too. Absolutely. There's no doubt that whatsoever. And there's not an argument as to is Igor for sure the number one? Yes. It, 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 we know this. Georgiev had his struggles this year. Kincaid was in there a couple times mm-hmm. as well. But and Igor Sturkin is-, is doing exactly what we anticipate he would. And then some a little bit. But I, let's, I, let's not forget that goaltending, goaltender is probably the easiest position to replace. Yes, it, it is. Um, I will I will say, however, that while it may be the easiest, I think you could argue that a little bit just because it's also the most detrimental to your club too. You know? Yeah. So, okay, so there's a difference between replacing a – if replacing Dominic Hasek with Antimi is going to hurt you, of course. But is it going to hurt you as much as replacing Conor McDavid with Derek Stepan? Yeah. I think replacing a top-line winger, center, or top-pair defenseman is going to hurt you more than replacing your starting goalie. Uh, Washington Capitals have not missed a beat without Holby. Uh, granted, though, Holpe was washed, and, and I'll take that argument any day. I, I thought yeah. Holpe was overhyped. He was and really washed last year. Now he's in Vancouver losing the the, the, the goalie uh, race to uh, Thatcher Demko. Exactly. He, he, you know, I, I've never been sold on Holpe. Yeah, that one massive year. He overpaid for Bobrovsky, and now they play Chris Dreger in that. And, and and Bob, yes, he had a couple of um, you know, trophy wing seasons for Columbus, but he was also fairly inconsistent, was not clutching playoffs. And another guy that was right at you know, really right at the edge of his prime, starting to go a little bit in the downfall. Like it's not it's not those guys are not surprising to me mm-hmm. to see them struggling, you know. You but you're you're right. Goaltenders are fairly replaceable, that's true. The um, Capitals are top of their division. And they've had to run with uh, Vitek Vanacek yep. for the majority of the season because Henrik Lundqvist goes out with the, the heart surgery. And then Samsonov. Ilya Samsonov goes out with COVID. Yep. All of a sudden, their third-string goalie is their, their starting goalie, and they are still top of their division. <coughs> so no, that's not, fair. Look, you, you can – goalies are not important. I'm just saying that – the impact of replacing your starting goalie with a different goalie is not as big as replacing your top line center, top pair defenseman with any other guy. Okay. And I, and I, and I can agree with that with a simple supposition at times being, you know, also depends on the defensive structure in front of, them. you know, if, it's like- if, if you put a different guy in goal for the Tampa Bay lightning, they're still top of their division. They're not top yeah. of their division because of Vasilevsky. Absolutely. Absolutely. Vassie is just reaping the benefits of the team around him, but he's not skipping a beat. You know, he's a fantastic goaltender. So it's a pot. That's a two positives right there that are working together, but yeah. it's like, it's like anything else when you have a young gun, like think it. Okay. A perfect example could be Holpe to an extent, right? Because when you think of Holpe and his little bit of a downfall with the caps, them as a defensive core group were also faltering over those years too. So it makes you wonder how much did he really benefit from the caps when in reality, his main year when he won the Vesna, that was a fantastic core group of defense in front of him at the time. So normally goaltenders reap the benefits of that situation. Now, are they able to take that momentum and use it beyond once they don't have a stellar defense in front of them? It's a little bit of a different story. That's, you know? that's so, a different story. And, and some goalies are masked by having an elite defense in front of them. Martin Bourdieu getting a nine-safe shutout. 
with the Devils is a perfect example of the goalie, the goalie not being the missing link in that cup team. Yep. Um, but if you look at the Rangers now, their defense this se- this season has probably been better than it has been in the last 15 years. Henrik Lundqvist must be watching these Ranger games thinking, man, I wish I had this defense in front of me. Because when they – you remember when Kincaid had that shutout against the Bruins? Yes. We gave up zero high-danger shots that game. I know. Yeah. Yes, it was a shutout for Kincaid, but it was more shutout for the defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And the Rangers have have been stellar defensively all year, something that gets completely overlooked as well. It's penalty kill, too. The penalty, penalty kill. kill. And this all can go directly to Jacques Martin in one way or the other. You know, that is exactly what he was brought in this club. There were some concerns given the fact that it was Pens. But again, Pens were a team that was usually middle of the pack every single year, whether it be in both penalty kill and from a defensive format when they didn't have any big name, you know, names defensively. Latain, Latain's a very great offensively. My defenseman has been for many years, but he's not a defensive powerhouse. Come on. Brian Dumoulin's their main guy. For at least the majority of the time with Martin. And Dumoulin and Ian Cole, Jack Johnson. Yep, exactly. But <laughs> my point is that structure is key. Hats yep. off to Martin. He's done a great uh, job. And I will say this is definitely the best Ranger defense that I think I have seen since probably right around 2011-2012. The Tortorella mm-hmm. days, that's when the Rangers were top dogs defensively, but were bomb fears offensively. See that yeah. trend with Tortorella, with Columbus for many years. There's one big difference, though. This defense is not blocking shots. They're taking away shots. There's a big difference. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're taking guys that wait to the outside constantly. They're not the giving them a lot of high-danger situations. The fact that we had three different goalies recording a shutout this season is testament to the defense being better. And and that's, that's a fantastic point. I, I completely agree with you. But, yeah, no, I think we really hit the nail on everything for this awesome special episode here, Rangers Review. So, Stephen, do you have anything else to get off your chest before we get out of here? Um, changed up my, my wall of cocoa. I made it a wall of crafts off for tomorrow. See if the, uh, rubs off on him. So he, exactly. he needs everything he can get, right? Because he needs that goal now. Yeah, no, he 100% does. And if you guys haven't noticed by now, you probably did. We got the Vitaly Kratsov, KHL jersey behind you. You got the Artemi Panarin and the Zach Jones. Fantastic setup there. All the topics of discussion. So thank you all so much again, Ranger fans, as always, for checking out this week's episode of Rangers Review. Stay tuned for our next episode in just a couple days once the weekend passes, where the Rangers have back-to-back games against the Devils. Hopefully some more victorious ones on the trend that has been as of late. Those back-to-back shutouts have definitely helped things for the Rangers against the Devils. So we'll see what happens on Saturday and Sunday. But thank you all so much again, guys. It really does mean a lot. And Stephen, as always, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.